Hey everybody, I'm Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where we talk with people about the moments in their life when they cross that line from leading with their head to leading with their heart, and maybe from leading with their heart to leading with their head. Uh, We're glad you've joined us today because we have a really fun podcast today. We're talking with John Bentley. You may not know John, but John is an incredible leader. He has served in our armed forces. He has a, a founded a, a company called Power to Transform. But, but most importantly, John is a great guy. I mean, he has a very interesting life story full of ups and downs. But his journey of continuing to, to listen and learn and to grow from very difficult experiences, um, very hard experiences. Yet here he is uh, investing in others, uh, speaking into the lives of others, helping others to lead themselves better. His resume is chock full of accomplishments, and he's an author. He's He leads, teaches, speaks. He continues to work uh, with our, uh, our military and from a, a, a career program specialist position, but I'm just telling you, this is a lot of fun. Now, if I were you, I would get my pencil and paper out because while this is a fun podcast and John is very gifted at at speaking and telling stories, uh, he really has some deep nuggets. He has some deep truths to share. And this this podcast is just chock full of them. So you might want to get your iPhone out or or whatever you take notes on and really try to capture some some things from this podcast. But I'll hush so we can get into it because I want you to hear from John John Bentley. Let's jump into that conversation right now. Well, I haven't known him long, but I'm going to tell you, I already like this guy um, on our Crossing the Line podcast, John Bentley. Um, man, I, I just spent a few minutes getting to to know him, and as you've heard in the in the intro, he has uh, an incredible resume and 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 a credible life story, which we're going to get into. But besides that, John. I just like you already. Welcome. I'm so glad you you are here. Thank you for being a part of Crossing the Line today. Well, thank you, Dr. Little, and I so appreciate you helping me feel welcomed, and I look forward to our conversation as we move forward. Well, I do, too. Uh, you have, uh, you know, you certainly have had an interesting journey, as as many people have, and and we want to talk about that because you've accomplished so much, uh, but but more than that, um, you have really devoted your life to leadership and, yes, and to helping others to, to lead themselves. Is that right? That is correct, sir. Well, I want to take us back, if we can, let's jump in and, and let's kind of learn about John. Let's learn w- what made John who he is today, or at least some of the things that he has experienced. So go back with me, John. We're going back to your childhood. Uh, we're going back to, to where you were about, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old. Where were you? What was the life like for John Bentley as a child? Yeah, I was in Ellaville, Georgia. So when I was seven years old, we're talking 1967, a little small town of about 1,500. And I lived in the county, Sly County. We had about 3,000 people. So my dad was a truck driver. You know, the, the, there's three kids now, and he's gone Monday through Friday, and mom just took care of us and was a homemaker. So, the, you know, those early years, it, it was just recognizing that dad was the boss. There was no doubt about that. Dad was the boss, and mama was the caretaker. Of course, we were fortunate enough to have my grandparents that we got to live close to as well, and as we continue to move forward with this journey, I'll share more with you about Eunice Pearl Harmon Taylor, my grandmother, because she's certainly one of my heroes and had an impact, positive impact on my life. 
I want I want to hear and and just for clarity purposes now, where are you in the in the order um, of your of your children uh, of your siblings? Are you the oldest, the middle, the youngest? Where are you? Yes, sir. 1970 and 1974 came two more children. I was born in 1960, so I am the oldest of five. Oldest of five. Yes, wow. sir. Okay. Beautiful. Okay, so here we go. Dad's driving trucks. Mom's caregiving. You're the oldest of five, and you're living out in the country. Is that right? You're living in a kind of in the county. Yeah, we are. And at this point, we're living across the street from my grandmother and grandfather. So like a hundred yards to their house. Mm-hmm. And 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 then I had a cousin moved into the pecan orchard, set up his mobile home with his family. So I was always going between the three homes eating. And I had metabolism then, Dr. Little. <laughs> I totally understand. Uh, uh, so so you grew up around family and, yeah. and as a child that had to be um, that had to be good, had to be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, I'll share with you, but my dad was a strong disciplinarian. You know, it, it, it was it was his way, like probably for most families in the, in that area. I, I'm not sure, but that was normal to me. And my mom was the rescuer. So whatever we'd mess up, she'd come behind and clean up. But, you know, my grandmother took a different approach. She was a nurturer. She mm-hmm. knew what you needed to do, but she never told you how to do it or when to do it. She led you to that decision yourself. Wow. And so having those three different role models as as parent figures authority figures i i got to see what did work what didn't work and the importance of as a leader not being a critical or rescuing parent per se even though i i know the answers and 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 i and it's going to be done this way or i'm going to do it i've learned to be a nurturer and lead people through questioning and helping them discover for themselves what's already in them how to make the best choices for that moment so there's your first leadership nugget. Um, three types of leadership, the dictatorial leader, the rescue leader, or the nurturing leader. And he learned that from uh, his grandmother, of all things. Uh, first of many uh, leadership nuggets from John. Goodness gracious. What, John, how fortunate you were to be exposed to that kind of, of uh, to, to that kind of leadership at such a young age. That truly was a blessing, wasn't it? It was, sir. And, you know, that that's, I think, the one thing that's so important for us as leaders and even people that are desire to be leaders is go back and, and see what the videos of your life, mm. lessons you've learned and have taught you and have shaped who you are today to be that leader that you're called to be. I love that. Videos of your life. Go back and look and learn and, and, and capture those. So you are now you're moving on into to adolescence. Okay. You're John, the teenager. Now you're, you're, are you still in Ellsville? Is that where we, we're still? I'm still in Ellaville. And, you know, I'll share Ellaville. this with you. I, I didn't move out of my home until the day I got married at 19 wow. years of age. Right. So, so, so prior to that, it's 16, 17 and 18. I took some jobs there around Ellaville because I saw, and my dad poured into me the importance of, having a strong work ethic because mm. we had five acres of grass that we cut with a push mower. We had about a 10 acre, what he, he called it a garden. <laughs> I called it a mini farm that my brother and I, who's 18 months younger than I took care of. So learning responsibility and understanding that certain things had to be done at certain times in order to produce the outcome later really stood out to me from my dad. 
Well, there you have it again. I know I sound like a broken record sometimes, but it's the strong work ethic that uh, has helped John. He developed a strong work ethic as a child. We see that over and over again in leaders who are successful. Learning to work hard is important. Yeah, you know, that, that's awesome that that you can now look back at that video, as you say, and learn that. But I bet you really didn't appreciate it so much as a teenager. No, sir. And I'll tell you an interesting story. Dad came home on a Friday night and the grass wasn't cut. He wanted to know why. Well, Dad, the lawnmowers are broke. You know, they're not working. We can't crank them. We've tried. He said, boys, that's okay. In the morning, we're going to get up. We're going to go buy y'all two new brand new mowers. And we thought, ride mowers. Oh, finally, ride mowers. No more push. (laughs) So my brother and I walked back to the riding mowers and Dad stopped about middle of the store. And he said, hey, boys, come here a minute. And we walked back up to him and he was standing in front of sling blades. He said, pick you one out. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So he bought two brand new sling blades. (laughs) And my brother and I cut the grass with sling blades. He got the mowers repaired because we weren't taking care of them, leaving them out in the rain, things of that nature. But from that point on, my brother and I never, ever missed cutting the grass with those push mowers again. (laughs) What a story. (laughs) Well, you can say that you have truly cut grass with a, with a sling blade. How many people could say that? Absolutely. I still see myself under the light in the yard and my mom and dad and my sisters and brother, the three of them were on their way to pizza hut. Cause that's what happened on Saturday nights. The family went to pizza hut and my brother and I were out there sling blade. Oh my goodness, man. Accountability. Accountability. And, uh, I don't know that, that they make them like that anymore. Your dad, that, that's a, that's a story for the ages. Now I'm sure, uh, if you were to tell that to the generation of, of young people today, they would look at you like what in the world? Well, they'd probably call it child abuse, wouldn't they? Yes, they would. A- absolutely. But I, I'll tell you, that was better than getting the spanking Yeah, because that <laughs> has stuck with me throughout my life, but I can't tell you hardly anything about the spankings that I deserved and got. Right. Yeah. I totally hear you. So, so what was it like growing up as a teenage boy under that kind of authoritarian disciplinarian and that kind of thing that your dad, that your dad uh, gave you? Uh, What was that like for you? How did you navigate that? Well, the story I would tell myself is that I wasn't good enough. Because he would always ask me, John Jr., did you do your best? Are you sure you did your best, John Jr.? And what I've come to realize over time, especially as I hit about 31 years of age, is he wasn't telling me that I was no good, that I didn't have any value. He was just always warning me that no matter in the activity I was doing, did I give my best effort. And if I gave my best effort and things didn't go as well as we wanted, that's okay. Now we can stop and learn from what didn't go well. And the one quote that I carry with me from Zig Ziglar is failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. You know, that's worth capturing, guys. That's worth thinking about, um, noting and and really buying into. It helps us not to be afraid to fall helps us not to be fearful because failure is an event. It's not a person. Wow, that's good stuff. Mm, that's so good and so yeah. true. And, and so that had to be difficult, but you you went through your adolescence and then 
talk us through that. In high school, were you were you an athlete? What what did you do in high school? My two favorite subjects were lunch and PE. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was an average student primarily because I didn't apply myself. Had all the talent, but just enough to get by because my focus was working and making money because that's what my dad did. And that's what I knew. Got it. And so I poured myself into it. My senior year, I was with the distributive education program where I went to school till about noon and then I got out and went to work. Mm. And so I, I really developed a strong, strong desire just to work hard and nobody was going to outwork me. It didn't matter if it took 40 hours or 80 hours. You weren't going to outwork me. Wow. And what a discipline you learned at such an early age. And you had a very special relationship with your grandmother. Very special relationship. She was born in 1901 had nine children, two were stillborn, and Uncle J.W. Joseph William was killed in World War II. So my mother is not the youngest. She was next to the youngest. And what I loved about Granny, as we call her, because everybody would show up on Sunday, anywhere from 15 to 30 people, she lived off of about $238 a month that she got from the VA through my uncle's death. But she always used her resources to serve others. So she had the mm-hmm. gift of service, the gift of help, and never ever saw her speak bad about anyone or condemn or criticize anyone. She always was present with you and made you feel like the only person in the room. Mm. My goodness, I can tell she's very special to you, even yes, to sir. this day. That's she she has a couple of quotes that that, that I like, and I've, I've modified them a little bit. But I was nickname was Eddie growing up because I'm named after my dad. She said, now, Eddie, I always want you to remember that life is nothing but a series of problem solving activities. You get determined what determine whether it's a drain or a joy. My goodness. What and, wisdom she had. Goodness mm-hmm. gracious. And then her other one that I love, and I'm still thinking about putting it on a T-shirt, Dr. Little. It's life is fundamental. When you take away the fun, it's duh mental. <laughs> I love that. that. That would make a great T-shirt, you know? I, I think it would be, that would be a great shirt. So, so you're, you've graduated now, you're, you're out of school, you've worked, you've, you've kind of worked your way through school. Incredible work ethic. Nobody's going to outwork Eddie. Um, what happens next? I end up married and going to work for Golden Corral Steakhouses. Started as a dishwasher at eight at 19. So I actually started as a dishwasher at 17 before I got married. Worked my way up to an assistant manager. Following this guy named Larry Wyland, who who I idolized a little bit because he knew how to get into the community there in our little town of America's Georgia that had two high schools, a private, a public and a college and a technical school. So whenever any big activities were going on, guess what? who we went and visited? Those schools to bring people in and actually feed them out the back door to go. So I learned a little bit about entrepreneurship and a little bit about management, but I still didn't know how to lead myself. So I had difficulty leading others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So hard time, but, but you're young, you're married, uh, you're now you're into your young adulthood. What's it like? What's going on? Are you still at Golden Corral? How long did we stay there? Well, they finally put me in my own restaurant in March of 1981. It was a million-dollar operation. Wow. And uh, I, I took it from 29% profit down to about 20% profit. So I was headed heading toward a nonprofit organization <laughs> is what I had. <laughs> 
I love it, John. And, and what I recognized with a wife and a young child, um, I was working about 100 hours a week because at that time you didn't have assistant managers. I was 20 minutes from the Atlanta airport. So you can imagine that any time an executive from that corporation was had a layover, where did they come? Mm-hmm. So, and then where's John? So after a year, I decided to leave that organization and join the Air Force. And that was April 9th of 1982. You joined the Air Force. And and I, I suspect that was that a, a decision that, that you got, you made, uh, you and your wife made together. How did you come? How did you decide, hey, I'm going to the military? Yeah, the wife basically said, you got to make a decision. Is it is your work more important than me and Natalie? And, mm-hmm. you know, that was an eye opener to recognize that my priorities were out of place. and It was time for me to start learning how to grow up some. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, it was a huge pay cut, but one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Thanks to my wife being willing to call me out. Wow. Well, and and I want to say to you, thank you for your service. We mm-hmm. certainly appreciate that. And it was in that Air Force where you say you received some feedback um, that really talked about your leadership, huh? Oh, it, it, it was. It, have you ever received feedback from someone that fundamentally changed the way you thought about life? Yeah. 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 His, his name was Russell White. It was my 10 year anniversary in the Air Force. So we'll fast forward to April 9th, 1992. Okay. I'd come out of the commander's office. We would know it as the HR office in, in the private sector. I'd signed a leave because they were going to give me $25,000. And you know that would solve this 31-year-old's problems, all of them. Well, Russell White pulled me aside and said, John, I, I got to share a life lesson with you now because you're going to leave in December never to return to, from the Air Force. And I retired from the Air Force. So, so there's a, a, a aha for a moment. Wow. And he shook a Coke can violently and asked me to open it. You can imagine what I said. I ain't opening that. He wanted to know why. Well, Mr. White, what's in it will spew all over me and you. It'll be sticky and nasty and it won't feel or look good. So he took the Coke can, set it down, and he got truthful and kind. And, and I really talk about this a lot in giving feedback. Because personal transformation happens through grace and mercy, through truthfulness and kindness. And what I've learned, if you're just truthful... Dr. Little, I'm going to tell you how I feel. I'm going to punish. I'm going to blame. I don't really care how you receive it. It's my truth and you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind. I'm probably going to skirt around the issue like walking on eggshells because I don't want your feelings hurt. I don't want mine feel my feelings hurt. But he was truthful and kind. Mm-hmm. And just as I'm about to say it, he said, John, that's what you do when things don't go your way and you think you're right. I don't know why you have the got to be's got to be the smartest person in the room, the most responsible person in the room, the strongest person in the room. But here's the lesson, John, until you learn to lead yourself, you'll never earn the right to lead others and you'll struggle, be frustrated and limit your opportunities for success. Wow. And that was the day I vowed to start understanding why did John spiral out of control? in tough situations where people were really trying to help him, trying to make the situation better. But he took it as they were trying to prove to him that he wasn't good enough. Well, that's powerful, John. That is, that is incredibly powerful. So you, you chose to take that though and apply it. You, you listened to that coaching that, that your superior gave you, you you could have discarded it. You could have been defensive. You, You could have done a lot of things, but you took it to heart. He cared about me, genuinely cared about me. And and you, you and I both know that quote, people don't know how much you 
how much you care until they know how much you care about them. And I I will share with you that a month later, John's name came out on the promotion list because that was one of the reasons I was leaving. They weren't promoting me fast enough. Just ask me, I would tell you. And I couldn't take the promotion. And I had, a, a, again, another Ziegler acronym, PLOM, P-L-O-M, poor little old me. You're just waiting for me to sign that paperwork. And you put my name on that list. Fortunately, a month later, they came out and said, if your name's on that list, you can submit paperwork to have your name withdrawn. And I did, not for the promotion, but because, again, Russell White cared about me. He saw the talent I had, and he cared about my success. So you changed course and decided to, to stay. I did stay, served 21 years, retired March of 2003. My goodness. So during those 21 years, uh, you had some ups and downs. You had good and bad. Talk to us a little bit about some of those moments that, that were milestones in your life, if you will. Well, the interesting part, after I had put on the promotion stripe, I went from what they call Staff Sergeant E5 to Technical Sergeant E6 in military terms. They put me in front of the wing commander to do briefings. The wing commander is similar to a mayor in a city. You can imagine just out there at Redstone Arsenal, the size of it, the amount of people and the decisions they have to make. Mm. But four times in a row, they just ripped my presentation up and I took it personal. I, I did. I, I took it. Per- Again, I got that. I'm not good enough syndrome. And I caught the, the commander going out the door one day and I said, why are you, my term, ripping me a new one every time I brief? Two words is all I heard. Bentley Q-tip. And then he got truthful and kind because I thought, as you did, what's those things that I clean my ears with? Yeah. Do this. Yeah. He said, John. Quit taking it personal. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the information that we need for these commanders, these men and women, to make decisions about their missions, what resources, people, and equipment that we're going to send around the world to to keep us safe. And there's another thing I want you to recognize, John, that no one's probably never told you, that we have an economic impact in this Oklahoma City and Oklahoma State of over a billion dollars. So you see, I need the right information for us to make the right decisions to execute our missions and help people be safe and secure. Then I said, where do I get that? And he told me, and he never ripped me a new one again. Wow. Wow. What, what a lesson. And, and from that, you learned that, that, that failing, if you, if you, you address the issue, you, you ask the right questions, but then you had to receive. Once again, here's your pattern, John. You you receive coaching. You receive that instruction. Yeah, that's right. And and, and that's the idea is uh, a, sta- a statement that that I use when, when I'm coaching or, or speaking is I allow myself six mistakes a day. And if I don't use them all, I roll them over. <laughs> now, I got to call my BW, my beautiful wife, to see if I got rollovers. But that is, <laughs> that's helped me tremendously to recognizing that, again, uh, you know, failure is not a person. It's an event. That's right. That's right. Now, you've experienced some loss, and, and you shared a bit about that with me um, before we started recording this podcast. Would you mind sharing that with us and, and walk us through how you how you dealt with that and, and, uh, and give us some, some of your wisdom. 
Yeah, this was a significant event. So Laura and I have been married now 11 years, it's December the 11th, 2010, and we've just eaten at P.F. Chang's and enjoyed our Mongolian Mongolian beef. And we're, we're on our way on Hughes Avenue there for people who know in the area to, to do go to the little farmer's market. And the phone rings, and it's Krista. And we looked at each other and said, hey, look, she's calling to wish us a happy anniversary. And the next three words I hear is, Dad, Natalie's dead. Now, Natalie's my oldest daughter. She's 28 at the time, a few days from her 29th birthday. And she had passed away from complications of prescription drug addiction. Now, what I've learned through that over about a five-year period, which will be 11 years now in December, is that I was there for her physically. So I was present physically, but I wasn't present emotionally. And, and, mm. and I want our leaders to hear this, that the best leaders are not only present physically, that mental part, but they're also present with their heart emotionally. Don't miss what he just said about this incredibly difficult time in his life. He, he preferenced what he was saying by saying what I learned from that. What he learned from losing his daughter. That's the true sign of a, a leader. Even in the darkest days, most difficult times, uh, he is determined to learn. So, so what John did to feel comfortable with his daughter's situation is he helped keep her bills caught up, her car payment. Her husband was in the Army, so they lived on base housing. That wasn't a good situation, but we won't go there. And so I, I did what made me feel good about the situation, but I never... Not that I addressed her addiction, but I was there for her emotionally and she can feel that I was there for her. Mm. So about two weeks afterwards, I go on her Facebook page, I get the courage and there's 60 people that have shared what Natalie's gift was, that she could sit with you, be present with you, let you know you were valued even in her darkest hour. And she would clean houses for those military people. She'd cook for them. She'd keep their kids. And that's when God put the word gift on my heart, mm. which is God's image fulfilled talent. Now I'll, I'll share this with you. Um, God used that to awaken me and let me know that I was still living in the world, that I got a lot of my value from possessions, what I owned positions, the titles and initials behind my name. And if certain people like me, that gave me value. So I had an identity crisis. I was constantly striving to be okay with me in the world. Mm. So that was just a beautiful lesson of, of me recognizing that really, I believe anyone's purpose is to discover what their gifts are and then just use those gifts to serve others and don't expect anything in return. Love it. And you'll be surprised how much peace and joy you'll be filled with. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful and so true. And John, you looked on that Facebook and you saw those people who, who had been impacted by your daughter, uh, by Natalie. And, and how did that, how did that make you feel when you, when you started reading those comments of how she had spoken into their lives in different ways? Well, first of all, the importance of truly understanding someone beyond just they're my child, they're my friend and understanding how they're wired and how to set them up for success to use that. But I also saw a lot of, even though she had that addiction, I saw someone who was willing to help others. 
And it also helped me recognize that when I'm with people now, I really, really just want them to share with me who they are, what they are. And then how can I help them magnify who or amplify who they already are? So Dr. Little, I've become very clear the last 18 months on my personal values. There's three of them. Mm-hmm. They're character-based. It's be approachable, mm-hmm. be teachable, and be helpful. And what I've recognized for those of us that are clear on our values, when things become challenging or difficult, whether it's with a person or a situation, that if I can stop and go back to my values and say, in this situation, am I being approachable? Am I being teachable? Am I being helpful? And recently there was myself and one other person, we had come to an agreement and they came back and had not honored that agreement. And I Mm. caught myself becoming my dad. But then it hit me. Oh, John, you're not being approachable right here. You're not being approachable. If you're not being approachable, you can't be teachable. And if you're not being teachable, you can't be helpful. So I was able to catch myself and re-engage in a way in truth and kindness in order to keep that relationship strong versus being at each other. Man, that is some incredible teachings, John. I, I, in fact, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if in our, uh, in our country and in our culture today, we, we just took those three attributes and said, we're going to be, you know, approachable, teachable, and helpful to one another. I think the polarization we see in our society and country might, might diminish quite a bit. Yes, sir. Uh, but but thank you for sharing that very personal life lesson, hard story. Uh, but yet here you are again doing what you've done every single time. And that is through your life. That that pattern is that I'm learning. I'm I'm allowing that to help me to grow and and even to to become a stronger leader, I think, huh? Yes, sir. I, I, I would agree. And so so now I'm I'm very accepting of my gifts, but not in a way that I'm arrogant. I'm thankful for them. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for them. And I like to say that when we're using our gifts, that's our opportunity to thrive, that we have a higher level of well-being, even though things around us may be going awry or crazy. So for me, it's staying focused on my purpose of serving others and allowing my values to underpin all of of my actions. Being driven by your purpose and then allowing your values to underpin that. I think we need to think on that for a while. That's uh, incredibly powerful uh, to, to think about living a life on purpose underpinned by our values. Wow. John Bentley, I could talk to you all day. You just teach me and inspire me. And thank you for for, for today, for giving us your your valuable time. May I, I want to ask you, is it okay? Can I ask you one more question before please, we wrap please. up? And I'll, I'll let you guys know you've you've got a full schedule and I want to honor that. But help us with, with this. There are, are leaders out there, aspiring young leaders, people in maybe in middle level leadership, or, but they, they need some, some help around how do I, how do I get to where John is in his life? I mean, he's been the season of life where he's giving back and serving and teaching and all that. But what would you say to those aspiring young leaders, let's say, who just need some leadership nuggets? What, what would you have for us? Yeah. And w- we understand the term of self-awareness and, and, 
and leaders knowing what influenced them. So well, one thing I would ask them to do that, that I've done and I, and I walk people through is take a, a big butcher block, draw a line down the middle of it and go back just like you did with me. Go back to the earliest point you can remember and start writing down the people that influenced you and how they influenced you. And what lessons did you learn from that? Also, the events in your life, like I just shared a significant event about the loss of my daughter um, and, and how God used that to awaken me. And, and what I will share with the audience, Alex is 15 now. He's making A's and B's. He's flourishing. He feels safe. He has unconditional love. And part of that, what we've got to learn to do for ourselves is have some self-compassion. Learn to accept and love yourself. Mm-hmm. So my mentor, she's 83 in Birmingham and Minton, and she taught me my last tour in the Air Force was she helped me access, accept, and act on my God-given gifts and to learn how to accept and love myself. So when you get that imposter syndrome, know it's a story. It's, 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 it's not the truth. It's mm-hmm. not a fact. So capture those thoughts in your mind that are negative. Lay them out before you. Lay them out before you because it's creating an emotion that's not good and identify which of those are true or not. And the number one thing that, that I have really gotten very good at, Dr. Little, is when I experience an emotion. Now, I want you to get that word. I am not angry. I am experiencing anger. You see, I've separated the emotion from my being. Now I look at that emotion as a gauge, not a guide, mm. as information, and, by, and, and the quick story is I was feeling some sadness recently while I was out walking and, and I said, OK, I, I am sad. I, I'm not sad. I'm feeling sad. I'm experiencing sadness. Well, what causes sadness? Oh, loss. Well, I haven't had anybody pass away. What, what, what did I lose? And then it hit me. Oh, my mom's in a nursing home. She's got dementia. It's the same story over and over. She has a beautiful spirit, which I'm thankful for that. It sounds like she's 30 years old again. Mm. And she's five hours away and she doesn't always answer her phone or the front desk won't necessarily go get her to answer her phone. And I went, wow, well, you know, that's okay. Mom's being taken care of and I love mom and it's okay. And at the same time, my supervisor, who I truly respect, he had taken a promotion and moved on. I was experiencing loss there. So what I chose to do, just like I did with Natalie, I celebrated that loss and recognized it's not who I am. And I'm thankful that emotion taught me how to do that. Mm, well, that is such wisdom. Separate your your yourself from the emotion. Understand what you're feeling, but it doesn't have to define who you are. That's Powerful, powerful stuff. And we have to go back and clarify one thing, uh, John, because I know our listeners are going to know Alex. You talked about Alex. Yes, Alex. Alex Alex is my grandson. It was Natalie's son. He was four and a half when she passed away. My and And, and what a blessing he is in your life, huh? Well, he is. And then Krista, if I may share this, and it may not even relate here, you'll have to tell me, Dr. Little, he'd been with her two and a half years and really withdrew. You can imagine that's normal, someone who lost their mom. And Krista was able to be truthful and kind with him. I'm not going to be mad at you. I just want to hear what you're thinking. And he said, well, Nanny Krista, it wasn't mom at the time. Nanny Krista, is it okay if I love you more than I love my real mommy? Mm, oh my goodness. So just creating the safety for people to share what they're thinking and feeling and them being understood. Oh, well, that build a strong foundation of trust and people will come to you then because they know that you're going to love and care for them in a way that makes sense to you and them. 
John, I, I tell you what, this is so powerful. So many leadership uh, truths and and realities that you are sharing with us. It's and, and I tell you, if you're listening, you know, this is one you may want to back up and listen to a couple of times because it's so deep and so rich. And I want to thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks for leading us today for being authentic and vulnerable and transparent and, and uh, also uh, being honest and helping us. Uh, you, you have, uh, you've truly, truly impacted. Uh, I know lives today by sharing your story. Thank you for taking the time. John Bentley, you're an incredible leader. We look forward. Hopefully we can do this again. Maybe we can, we can connect and talk some more. I certainly look forward to that. And I am deeply appreciative of you being a part of crossing the line today. Thanks, Dr. Little. I certainly enjoyed it and appreciate you leading the effort. I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. Take care. You too, sir. Wow, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed that that podcast. Uh, John is a unique man with unique experience and such a open transparency about him. This podcast was really, uh, this conversation was just full of, of neat, good, relevant uh, leadership nuggets, leadership truths, principles. And uh, he just has a great way of delivering that. He tells a great story, doesn't he? I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it spoke to your life and maybe your heart. Uh, I hope that as you listened, you could think about how you could cross that line from leading with just your head to leading with your heart and from leading with your heart as well as your head. Uh, Thank you again for listening. Just know that when you cross that line, you do make a difference in the lives of those you love, live with, and lead. We'll see you next time. Take care.